0: Welcome to Bald Business, the naked truth in entrepreneurship. Let's begin. All right, welcome back to Bald Business. Today, I am super excited to have Kyle Matthews here with Beat Childhood Cancer. Kyle, thanks for coming in. Thanks, it's a pleasure to be here. It's going to be awesome. Um, so from the very beginning, like always, uh, I just like to start and have people tell us how you got into, um, I don't even know, do you, do you consider it the, the medical space or what, what kind of space yeah, are you research, considering? Research, I would say the non-profit More space and research okay. focused. Right. Because beach Childhood Cancer is a non-for-profit. Correct. Um So what were you doing before you got into that? What kind of brought you there and where are we going um, with it and what's the hope, the goals? And then, And then we'll kind of get into some other things.
1: Yeah, definitely. So before I uh, got into the Beat Childhood Cancer, I was running an online forum, okay. a community on the Internet teaching people how to develop for iPhones. It was called ModMyEye.com. Cool. Uh, have you ever heard of jailbreaking your iPhone? Yeah. So we were the people, our community that did that. And kind Oh, of-
0: wow. Yeah, there was a, there was a awesome. lot of
1: a lot of fun in that. So it was yeah. a very very techie thing. We had a million members on there and got a half million page views a day, and that's what I did for years. Is I started with Motorola phones before that. Um back in the days of the Motorola Razor. Mm-hmm. And then when the iPhone came out, we started we called it modding, other okay. people call it hacking, but yeah. um yeah, working on different phones and doing nifty things to them. That's awesome. Uh yeah. So I, I had that.
0: How long how long were you doing that for?
1: Ten years. Okay, cool. I, yeah, I did that for a decade. Um maybe even a little bit longer, starting with Motorola and going into the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh and then in Two thousand nine, my first son was diagnosed with neuroblastoma cancer mm. uh, Ezra was his name, and he fought for a year, thirteen months of treatment. We actually if people could see, I have a tattoo here that says eight hundred days mm. uh, on my arm, and that's exactly how many days Ezra lived he oh uh, wow. Um, we found out he was diagnosed on the four hundredth day of his life. Okay. And died on day eight hundred. So exactly half his life with cancer. Wow. And really when the reason that he died, well, cancer is the reason that he died, but right. when he relapsed, which a lot of kids with his type of cancer do, they told us we don't have any options. You know, you, you think when you go to the doctor, whatever you have, that they consult some magic playbook or, yeah. or database I guess now and say okay if you have eczema here's what we do if you have this here's what we do if you have this type of cancer here's what you do Um, if you relapse this is what we do Mm. but the reality is with lots of diseases that's not the case and with the cancer that Ezra had um, that's what happened they told us we don't have any options there's nothing left Mm -hmm. so we tried to get on a clinical trial weren't even exactly sure what that is or was at the time. We didn't come from the medical world, uh and he he wound up dying a few months later, and that was in Man, I'm sorry, November of yeah, November of 2010. So yeah. actually, what's today, the fifth? um We're coming. Up, oh wow! Um, just okay. a few days from the ten-year wow. anniversary of when he died. Yeah. So when that happened, we felt like we had to do something. Right. You know? Yeah. We, absolutely. We, we had been fighting for 13 months uh, with Ezra. Trying to beat cancer, and then being told that we just don't have the medical community has no options. So we thought, okay, we've got to do something. We wanted to start a nonprofit, mm-hmm. and our focus really was, which is what our name is now, beat childhood cancer. That's what we wanted to do. Yeah, we we've been a part of a a, a lot of groups or benefited from a lot of groups who do what I call quality of life. Mm. Um, they'll, you know, like a make a wish thing where they'll introduce you to Steven Stamkos or take you to Disney or yeah. Paris or something. And I think those are important and good, but they're also well done already. And mm-hmm. none of that added an hour to my son's life. Right. And that's the mindset that we took into, into forming what at the time was called because of Ezra and now is called Be childhood cancer foundation was how can we make sure that no other family ever has this hole this mm. in their heart that we have and mm-hmm. no other kid has to be told? There's no options. Yeah,
0: for sure. Wow. So now that you're obviously in that, mm-hmm. that means you've, well, how, I guess how long you've been in it then? Almost a decade then? Yeah, I mean, April, was it-
1: April was our uh, 10-year anniversary because okay. we actually wound up uh, at one point during the long story, we merged with another organization, who's a, a mm. another group that was founded by a parent of a of a uh, kid with neuroblastoma. Okay, and so that organization was founded in April of 2010, um, okay, which gotcha. is the date that we we hold on to now. Yeah. So actually, this is our our 10-year anniversary of of being wow. an organization.
0: So, what is the I mean, obviously the, 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 the big thing is you want to beat childhood cancer, but how are you doing that? What are things that you're doing to to actually help other families and children beat it?
1: Yeah, we spent the first year really just trying to understand the answer to that question. Okay, um, We did not come from a medical background, my wife mm-hmm. and I, and we had kind of this unofficial nurse title, you know, by the time we finished just by absorbing so much information and walking through a year of of treatment alongside Ezra Mm -hmm. and trying to read everything we could of you know, what is what does all this mean. Right. So we didn't even really understand how research was done. I, I think a lot of groups I see this in the childhood cancer community a lot will just say, Okay, the closest children's hospital to me is X, and so I will raise money and then I will give it to this hospital and say Please put this towards research that the kind of, uh, towards the kind of cancer my kid had. Right. We didn't really know if that was the best thing or not. Mm -hmm. And so we spent a year basically just going all over the country, uh, trying to talk to anyone doing interesting work and neuroblastoma was our focus and it's grown since then saying, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what do we do now? What is the medical community now? What are the clinical trials that are open? How do we do clinical trials? and how do we push for better options for kids. Mm -hmm. We found a doctor named Dr. Giselle Scholler out of the University of Vermont at the time, she's now in Charlotte, and she had some really innovative ideas, things that, it seemed like most people were just saying, let's try, if we do these chemos now, let's try a little bit more of this one and a little bit less of this one. Mm. And they, they were all very low risk things that they were hoping for a 5% survival chance increase. Right. Um, You know, like a little bit here, a little bit there, but nothing interesting. And Dr. Scholler had these very interesting ideas. And so a couple of other parents whose kids were also fighting cancer came Mm -hmm. together and said, look, you have to do this. She was young in her career. Um, A lot of times doctors in that place won't have... They won't do pediatrics because there's not a lot of money in pediatric cancer funding. Right. There's not enough kids, so you're never going to have tons of drug to sell to make right. you know, hundreds of millions. So the, a lot of times you'll see medical doctors focus on adult oncology, and then when they, quote, um, retire, then they'll do the pediatric oncology research gotcha. that they love, but they spend their first 20 years you know, doing something else. Yeah. Please, focus on this. We'll go get the money. We'll figure out how to do it. And then the long story short is we we quickly realized that the best way, there's two different ways to do clinical trials. Mm. And a clinical trial is just uh, we have a question, a medical question, and we'd like to answer it. Usually it's we think this treatment option or modality or whatever would be better than what exists now. Mm. So we're going to try it and hopefully... The patients respond better yeah. than they usually yeah. do. See something different. And that's all that it really is, you know. Got it. We think this drug would help, or more of this, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple different ways you can do. What's called a center of excellence, which is like a St. Jude or some of these hospitals, where you know they may have 75 beds, and they open a clinical trial only at their location. And the only way to get on that clinical trial is to physically go there and participate. Mm-hmm. That's really hard for young parents. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times parents who their kid has cancer, they're in their 20s, 30s. Uh, they're not super far in their career. So it's, obvi- it's it's often harder for them to just pick up and leave for 13 mm-hmm. months or say, right. um, you know, I just have money sitting aside where I don't have to work. Of course, or, you Yeah, know, of course. All of these things are difficult. So the other model is what's called a consortium. You basically have one lab that creates the clinical trials, the design of them. You know, Here's how much of X drug you give at X interval and mm-hmm. you scan whatever. And any of the hospitals who enter this consortium can offer those clinical trials at their hospital. Mm. So that's what we did, and uh, the very long story short is that there are now uh, 50 hospitals that are involved in that wow. research consortium, including uh, St. Joe's here in Tampa. Um, and Arnold Palmer in Orlando. There's there's a few different ones in just in our area. That's awesome. Yeah. So now there's 50 hospitals that kids can participate in the clinical trials that we're funding and driving.
0: That's really great. Yeah. So, what are some of the, I guess, improvements in treatment that you've been? I mean, obviously, you've been a decade now. I mean, you've kind of seen. Positive things, right? Yeah, we have. Awesome. <laughs> would hope so awesome. if not, it yeah. would be.
1: What if I said, nah, it's just nothing really Working. <laughs> that would just <laughs> be like totally donate.
0: Uh, it'd, be, it'd be. a lot of work <laughs> for uh, a lot of stress. I'm sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been really encouraging. We, we've helped to launch 19 different clinical trials in that two-year period. Um, we do that very rapidly. The the standard for the industry can be anywhere from four to six years to get a clinical trial open. We usually do that under 12 months. So we can very quickly roll out new trials. One of the ones that we've been most excited about, we have two areas we're really excited in. One is this drug called DFMO, which specifically for neuroblastoma, which is what Ezra had, we hope it's stopping kids from relapsing. Mm. There's a, one of the big problems with that cancer is we can get kids, we being the medical community, can get kids to remission where there's no evidence of, of cancer anymore. Mm-hmm. But then there over half of them are relapsing and there's no known cure for relapse. Mm. So Do they know this, why they relapse? Not necessarily. No. Okay. Yeah. That's another thing that is being looked at, but we don't really know. So our thought was if we can stop that relapse from happening, yeah. then we have a huge chance of survival for these kids. Uh, it, it really improves. Mm-hmm. So that's what we focused on with this drug, DFMO, which we're hoping to get FDA approval sometime in the next 12 months. It's wow. been a long process, and that will actually be only the fifth oncology drug approved first for pediatrics Wow! ever. Wow, Not that's like in the last really cool. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. So that would be a, a huge win. And the kids on that, we're seeing um, five-year survival rates over ninety percent, which is wow. um, You know, much higher than the sixty to seventy when we started yeah. doing this. So it's it's almost, a, I mean, it's it's almost a huge double. Win. I mean, really, yeah, it's a, it's a big win. That's awesome. So That's been really amazing. And then the other focus that we have is something called precision medicine, which mm-hmm. uses technology, where basically. We take a sample of a kid's tumor and we run it through some algorithms and look at the genes, the, the genomic material to see what's upregulated and downregulated, and then we already know from all of the FDA-approved drugs that some of them work on these genes being up or down regulated. Mm-hmm. So we go, okay, what if we treated this kid's tumor with this osteoporosis drug that we know hits these specific markers? Mm-hmm. And what if that helped make this kid's tumor go away? And we've seen that actually working. Wow. And so that's a thing that we're really focusing on over the next 10 years because the goal of that would be, you know, what everyone hopes to do, which is you give an agent, a target, a drug to a kid that mm. only treats their cancer, yeah. not their whole body. Right. The problem with chemo, a lot of people don't realize this, when you see like cancer patients that have like sunken in eyes, their heads bald, it's not a side effect of their cancer, it's a side effect of the chemo. Yeah, that stuff's nasty. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the idea is, well, let's stop giving kids, in our case, Mm -hmm. uh, these drugs that just destroy their whole body, hoping the cancer will take it up faster, because that's what cancer does, and try to find things that are targeted specifically for this child's tumor. Wow. And we've actually found a really interesting thing is, even within different uh, you think it's the same ca- type of cancer, neuroblastomas, let's talk about, since that's what Ezra had. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit different when you actually look at it on that genomic level. Wow, okay. So, and that kind of gives us a- an idea of why some, like you would give the same cancer type the same chemos, mm-hmm. and 60% of the kids would respond and 40% wouldn't. Right. And it's the thought was, well, why is this... And why is this not happening? Right. With these kids, yeah. if it's the same cancer, and we're actually seeing these little differences in the mutations, which will hopefully also help us. Um, I'm not a doctor, so the medical yeah, no, community, of course, of course. Yeah. will help understand and treat these things a little bit more targeted and, and you know personalized. It's
0: almost, yeah, it's like it's, it's almost like a personalized approach um, yeah. to to cure, which is, I mean, being in the fitness industry uh, personally, it. Personalized approaches to any fix is really the best. Um, exactly. It's just you can't, nothing's a one-size-fits-all. Right. Um, so there's obviously some questions I want to get to about like, you know, the journey and the struggle and, you know, the ups and downs of that. But before we get into that, have you had, and, and maybe you're not at liberty to speak about it or you don't want to talk about it, but have you had any pushback from, say, like the big pharma area in – not just normal prescriptions for everybody um cuz i feel like that in general that's uh, seems to be an issue so i don't is that something you've had to deal with or not really
1: farm is interesting so the thing with pediatric cancer is in the US there are about 15,000 15 to 16,000 kids a year mm. that get all types of cancer total okay so there's really no like we talked about earlier, there's no money in that for drug companies. Got it. That makes you know? sense. You're going to have millions if you look at uh, breast cancer or mm. you know, some of the adult cancers. And so it's really hard for drug companies to actually make money in the pediatric space.
0: So there's really no... I mean, you don't you don't there's get the issues, of, really. Yeah, or,
1: there's there's been... I mean, there's some fun stuff. There's been um, <laughs> lots of people from the childhood cancer community trying to figure out, are there ways... From like a policy standpoint, to encourage these drug companies to do more in the pediat- pediatric oh, space because okay. they have um, huge amounts of resources, yeah. not just from a money standpoint, but uh, a wealth of information of and, and yeah. really smart people who, mm-hmm. if they were incentivized to focus on pediatrics, probably could come up with it some might move things. faster. Yeah. And especially with this personalized approach, when we see those genomic markers and what we do now is we use these already fda approved drugs that we're now as a community understanding better how they work and go wow this should work with this kid's cancer Mm -hmm. well that only works if there's a drug that works on those markers Mm -hmm. the thing is there's a lot where we go okay there's not really a drug that would focus on this and so in those cases Pharma, big pharma, may have some drug that they just never pursued on a shelf somewhere that actually works for this. Gotcha. But if the community doesn't even know what those are, right. they don't even know to ask for it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't know what's in ex-drug companies' back shelf. Yeah, that's true. Um,
0: <laughs> that is true.
1: And so there's, there's a lot of conversation around that. We actually had a very cool story, which could be an entire podcast. But there was a drug company who was manufacturing that DFMO drug for yeah. us. And when they saw the results started coming back encouraging, they essentially told us that they were no longer going to provide us with the drugs, sell the drug to us. They were going to reopen the trial in their name, and they had their own reasons for that. And this this whole thing happened, and actually there's a a really incredible five-part Boston Globe series on it that anyone can look up at globe.com slash will. Okay. And it, it delves into that whole story of what happened, and it wound up being another cancer parent who started a drug company in order to ensure that we would have continued access to this, and uh, set that up actually so that if FDA approval happened, mm-hmm. uh, funds from the the sale of that drug at FDA approval. Would actually continue to benefit the research that we're doing, so it's it's a really incredible story and a fun little foray into how people yeah, can interact with research. It, it, it's, it's
0: unfortunate, crazy. though, that that's that that exists.
1: It is. And yeah, it was. It was very stressful. There was moments where, I mean, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to have drug for kids who were taking that that drug at the time. We had letters prepared. That is, that we were going to That is out, wild
0: to me. Like we the fact gonna, that yeah, that's even okay it, is it just was, wild to it me. Was really, it was
1: really <clears> tense for a while. I and bet. Yeah, that all bet. happened in... Stressful. I don't know. It's been four or five years now. But the, the article is incredible and it takes about... There's an audio version too that takes okay. about an hour, but it's it's a great story. So you said, it
0: was just one more, one more time, globe.com backslash will. Okay. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Yeah. We'll we'll check that out for sure. Um, so that kind of leads me into some of the other parts of the conversation, which is being in business is hard enough, right? Being in nonprofit work is probably even harder. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, difficult. And you, you know, you just mentioned one of the major stressors that's come up. But is there another time or other things that you can think of that come to mind that have really been like? hard and how did you overcome them and you don't have to obviously talk about all of them but maybe one or two (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah constantly constantly okay it is is always difficult i mean not even so to start obviously the entire time every interaction that i have i talk about my son dying Mm. You know, that's I mean, true. I, I literally walk into every room when I ask people to support or talk about what we do and, and I have to talk about, you know, my reason that I'm here, which is Ezra being 800 days, two years old and dying of cancer. So it's like ripping a,
0: the wound open every yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: So it's a decade of me constantly doing that. And I am always encouraged and motivated by the good things that we're seeing mm-hmm. and, at the same time reminded of my own loss and there's so many kids along the way that even if we say 95% of kids are beating cancer 5% are dying right of you course know, like the, this isn't a thing where a failure to do so is uncomfortable it's a dead kid that's right. what's happening and yeah. so it's so there's a lot of weight that that we carry and yeah. so so from the emotional side it's very it's very taxing yeah. yeah exactly um, but there have been a ton of, of practical struggles, too. I mean, w- before I went full-time in the nonprofit world, I was a business owner. And so when I met with people, there was always some kind of exchange of value. Mm-hmm. You know, like I am, I am... I, I don't know. I'm giving you money and you're giving me a service yeah. or It's like if someone
0: came in know. and signed up for training or whatever right. like we're giving right. them training and yeah. There's Anyways. this
1: like very obvious what each of us get out of mm-hmm. this transaction. And I noticed a very real shift when I was full-time in the nonprofit world of okay, now I'm essentially asking for a favor, mm. you know. I don't view it that way because I think what you do from a philanthropic standpoint is kind of the mark that you leave on the world. Absolutely. If you have an excess in your life, I almost feel like there's a responsibility. I do feel like there's a responsibility to do something. I agree. It doesn't have to be help kids beat cancer, but you should do something. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, okay, it's not a null transaction. Right. You know, we're bringing a legacy that you can have in the world, a philanthropic impact. You know, you can see these kids who are alive now because you gave a hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. or a $10,000 gift or five bucks in the bucket at some event, you know, mm-hmm. all of these things add up to what we are doing. But there was definitely a shift that I noticed. When I'm people, sure, you know, they just kind <clears> of <throat> like, Oh, well this is what I'm doing for you. And in some instances that's true. So that was another thing to, to overcome as well Is or how do I, it feels weird, mm-hmm. you know? And so how do I, how do I approach that and talk about it?
0: That's, I mean, I think, um, I, mean, I agree with what you said but I, I can imagine how hard that is because one of the things I was thinking is you did this whole other thing for 10 years which you know you get used to this flow right um, and, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of it's not the same obviously because we're in the same industry but we moved here from Indy we sold everything and moved here and started at zero right so I, I, I know a little bit of what that feels like I can only imagine how much crazier it is when you go from straight business mind to doing that to hundred percent nonprofit. Mm-hmm. What was the, um, uh, I, I guess from the time that you were like, yeah, I'm going to get out of this and I'm going to start nonprofit. Was it a very gradual thing or was it just like you cut it off? Six and years. Six years. Okay. So, so it's gradual.
1: We started the nonprofit in December of, of 2010. ten. Mm-hmm Uh, the Because of Ezra one, and then eventually we merged. But Robin and I, my wife, started that nonprofit in December of 2010 and did it out of our margin of time until June of 2016. Mm. And at that point, it had gotten to a point where either someone needed to be paid to do it, regardless, someone Mm. needed to be paid to do it. So we either needed to hire someone or I needed to figure out a way to transition out of what I was doing to this. It was, those six years were really amazing and difficult. It was just, I'm doing two things almost Mm. full time. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know if we really thought when we started, you can actually beat cancer. Right. You know, I mean, I think it's one of those things everyone always talks about, oh, well, it's not rocket science or it's not curing cancer. It's like these two big... giant and now, yeah. weights. And now we're going, now we're going to Mars and, and we are beating cancer. But we started to realize after a few years, this isn't magic. Mm-hmm. You actually can, you being humanity, the scientific community, we can just pour attention, time, and money into a thing like cancer and beat it. Mm. We have done it before. Uh, There are several other cancers that have these 98, 99% survival rates because we spent a lot of time and money on them to perfect our understanding and how we treat them. Mm -hmm. And we started to see within those six years, oh my gosh, this this could work in childhood cancers as well and we're seeing it work that's awesome so it got to this point where if we were going to be able to continue funding and growing it mm-hmm. um, I couldn't do it on my 25 30 hours of course. sometimes more than that a week where I'm also working a full-time job of course and it's like this is insane you know, I would <laughs> like to see my my wife and son sometimes so I yeah I mm-hmm. I, um, I quit my Uh, technology company. I sold it. It was not exactly the right time to do that, but we got a little bit of money and um, went full-time in the nonprofit world. It was a a significant life change for us. The Mm -hmm. way that we lived looked different. The way that we, um, you know, the amount of money we had, everything changed Mm -hmm. in that moment. But it was it was all the best parts of my day yeah. were in the childhood cancer community and world, which is, which feels strange to say, but it's, it's true. I mean, yeah. the, the impact that I was having, um, the conversations we were having, it, it was, it was important and, and necessary to do.
0: That's awesome. No, I think that, I think that's great. So what do you feel like is something that you do consistently well that keeps you moving forward Um, so like a lot of people have like you know they do like a morning routine or they have you know something that they like for me like i work out consistently like that just helps right um what is something that you feel like you do on a regular basis that just keeps you moving toward that goal
1: um i think planning planning the day and reflection on the day Mm. are two very big ones for me so we don't have an office. We uh, are. We now have four employees, and those are spread out across the country. But for the, for a while, it was just myself, and so there's a lot of. You have to be motivated and on top of your scheduling and how you do things, in order to succeed at the day, mm-hmm. because there's nobody else involved. Right. So for me, you know, I'm very structured on the way that I attack each day. So I have, you know, my, my kind of morning moment where I just have a, even if it's five minutes of, okay, what is, what is important for today? What do Mm -hmm. I want to get done for today? And then at at the end of every single day, I do that as well, not just from a a business or professional life standpoint, but from a personal life standpoint, I, and sometimes it takes 30 seconds, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's a, you know, an hour. Where I kind of just think, all right, of what happened today, what things made me feel good or bad, Mm. and what are ways that I should adjust my response to those situations next time to make it better. That's good. And that's something I've done for, I mean, almost 20 years now, maybe 15 years, that really has been a help to me in just saying, okay, next time this comes up, you know, here's how we do things differently.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. So... Um, what what do you feel like, because obviously people listening, um, I feel like I've talked to a lot of people who are like, I, I want to start a non-profit or I have a non-profit. I was actually just talking to somebody last week that they have a non-profit in the fitness space mm-hmm. um, and they're really struggling right now. So what is something that you would say to someone who's maybe thinking about starting a non-profit or maybe struggling in the nonprofit world that would maybe be advice for them to to help keep them moving?
1: I would say first, that's good. Mm. I think that's the first thing to, to understand is if you have that mindset, it is probably because there is some injustice in the world that you would like to see changed. Got it. Whether that's not enough people having access to fitness or kids aren't beating cancer or racism or whatever right. it may be. People don't have enough food near them. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, there's something that you see that you feel like you want to make better. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. So I say whatever that initial feeling is please make sure that you're continuing on that.
0: Remind yourself of that. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> now the question of whether or not you should start a nonprofit is a separate thing. I think it's important to remember that a nonprofit is at its core a business. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't mean that in a, it's to, gener- to generate profit, but it needs to be run well. It mm-hmm. needs to, you know, there are regulations, there are accountants, there are Things that you have to do with the IRS, you know, you have to interact with the people around you in a professional way, mm-hmm. the people that support you. There's all of this, all of the things that come with running a business exist in the nonprofit space. Right. Um, and sometimes it's even harder because- I'm sure. You don't just have a bunch of money pouring in, you know, it's right. not, not that every business is like that, but there's, right. there's a little more leeway on a business than there is on a nonprofit. profit mm-hmm. um, And so I would say make sure that you have your ducks in a row. Just saying there are a lot of homeless people in my neighborhood and I think I can help them is not the right way to then start a nonprofit. Mm. You really need to understand if you see an issue, how are you going to make it better? What is, like, specifically, Mm -hmm. what is it that you will do? If you say, I want to start a nonprofit, tell me in the first six months what's going to happen. What are you going to do to make things better in the place you're trying to? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing along that line is, um, which is sometimes hard from a pride standpoint. Usually the people who want to start something are people that have kind of this, not in a negative way, but a pride in like, I can do this, you know, they have some belief or I can put people around me who can do this. So it's important to also look and think, are people already doing this, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't do it. There's obviously a lot of people in the childhood cancer space. Right. You know, there's tons of organizations. But you have to look at that and say, if there's someone doing it the exact way I think it should be done, I should probably go and partner with them mm. in some way. Yeah, Whether it's, can I work for you or can I somehow support you or, you know, can I go raise $50,000 that you can pay me so that I right. can, you know, whatever it may be if there is a way for you to join someone who's already doing it the way you feel it should be done, that's the best thing. Got it. If you look and see people aren't doing it the way that I think it should be, then write down somewhere very specifically what it is about those people. um, That is not the way you think it should be, because that guides you on that first principle of how Mm -hmm. should I approach it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think just there's, I think millions, I'm just saying this number off the top of of my head, so maybe not true, but there are a lot of nonprofits Mm -hmm. in the United States of America and a lot of them do essentially nothing Mm. because people start them and then they realize, well, I thought people were just going to like kind of write me checks because I'm doing a good thing and that it would be really easy to do this good thing, but it's not super easy. It's (laughs) really hard (laughs) to just ask people for money. If it's the kind of nonprofit that's funded from public support, it's really hard, you know, uh, so I think just
0: yeah. sales pitching all the time, like. <laughs> <Exactly. Yeah. laughs> Except again, way they're, way they're way. not getting anything from that. Right, they're right
1: from a, yeah, like a tangible way. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's, yeah, that's difficult. Obviously, there's like some people. It's grants or federal funding. So there's different ways. Mm-hmm. But at the core of it, you're trying to convince someone else that what you are doing is good enough for them to pay for it. Mm. And that's um, that can be difficult.
0: No, that's. I think that's great advice, honestly, because um, I think, I mean, like you said. And I believe a lot of things are uh, comparable to business, just in general. Like life could be. <laughs> like if you're not managing your home life well, it's you know you're going to be messy. So, I think that's great advice. In this process, have you ever wanted to? Have you ever wanted to quit?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. there's definitely times we all want to, right? Yeah, that, at some there's point. There's definitely times where you go, "What would it? You know, what would it look like if I was doing something else?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's mostly because it's, again, it can be hard. There are these difficult things. And for me, I mean, the emotional side is really yeah. is really tough to carry, you know. And just like the other day, I had a conversation with my wife about, are, are there people who wake up and they go to work every day and then they come home and it's not uh, like tearing their heart apart all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I that's imagine not exactly funny, what but. Would, right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not funny, but it's. It's like this thing that it's just yeah. always, you know, if we fail at what we are doing, kids die. Mm. And that is a heavy weight. Now, I also feel at the same time that it's exactly why I have to be here. You right. Know? Because uh, I I can help. And the team that we've assembled, the supporters that we have, the people around us are making a difference. And I'm just proud to be on that team. And it is it is worth it. It's absolutely worth it. But... Yeah, sometimes. You so do you
0: think it. that, because that kind of leads me to my next question. So is that really what keeps you going is just knowing like that you are making strides and you are, because I mean, obviously people want to quit all the time, right? And sure. some people do. Um, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, you've just got to figure out how to get back up and go again. But what do you think keeps you going?
1: Yeah, for me, it's definitely that. I mean, mm. that what we are doing is working. Yeah. We, we do a big, uh, we participate in a big road race in Cape Cod, and it's this like 45 year old race where the only way to get in is if you're a legal resident of Falmouth, Massachusetts, oh my goodness. or you run with a nonprofit. Okay. So it's very kind of tough to get in. There's all these nonprofits you run with. And we have one of the larger teams, usually like in the top five teams. That's awesome. And we raise a bunch of money there and it's a great weekend um, down the Cape You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's a lot of fun. But when we finish because we'll have 200 150 runners when we finish we'll have this cookout afterwards we'll, we kind of rent out the fairgrounds we'll have 3, 4, 500 people there because it's the runners and their families mm-hmm. and we just have you know burgers and dogs and live music and ice cream for the kids and blow up things and it's a, it's a lot of fun but around the inside of the building we put these pictures up of kids who are participating in some of our clinical trials mm-hmm. kids that we know and we've been doing this, I don't know, eight years now. Okay, wow. And the first few years, we would get ready for that and we'd pull out all the posters and realize that most of these kids were not here anymore. They mm. they died. And it was just like this, you know, gut punch, right? Because mm-hmm. these are people that we know their families. We spend time with with these parents. We probably still spend time with their parents. Uh, even after they've lost and when we, we knew the kids and, and it's just like, it breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. And in the last several years we've started to see they're all still here. That's awesome. You know, we pull out the posters and it's like, we can just, every one of these kids is still here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that right there is like, okay, we have, we have, yeah. I have powerful to doing this because you look at that and you go, what, and you think, and my wife says this all the time, what, Would we like, how thankful would we be to the person who was pouring their time in that came up with something so Ezra was still here? Mm. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. what would we give up in order to have that? Right. A lot. Um, And if we, myself, Robin, the team that that we have on on the Beach Out of Cancer Foundation, if we can give that to a kid, yeah. You know, why shouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like that? you were made to do this?
1: I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if we're, I don't know if we were made to do anything. I think that, um, I think we come across things that feel right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, maybe Liam Neeson, like I was given a unique set of skills. (laughs) I think there are things that, you know, I can, I can see kind of the path of my life to where, I was good at this, mm-hmm. you know, like I had my own business for many years, so I understood like how to start something, mm-hmm. the beginnings of it, you know, navigating, I don't know, state websites and how to set up an yeah. see all those kind of things. All the nonsense, you know, the, <laughs> the basic little things. <laughs> yeah. So I think that there's something within that. Yeah, but I don't know if I think I was made for this because I think the, and the reason I would be hesitant is because I think then it says well, so what if you weren't, you know, like, mm-hmm. does that mean that maybe someone who has a, a hankering to do something shouldn't because maybe they weren't made for it? You know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes you just find yourself in a place where you have an opportunity to do mm-hmm. something and and you do it.
0: Yeah, you know? uh, no, I agree with that because I, yeah. uh, I think that I think that we are given, like you said, uh, maybe, maybe a stronger skill set than someone else in something. But that doesn't mean it's limited to one thing or another. So right. I agree with that statement. Um, So you and your wife have a little coffee shop too, right? We do. Let's talk about that because I want to, I wanna like, you know, when did that come about and kind of what drives that? You guys, I mean, it looks really cool. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been over there yet. Obviously, it's, it's a, a, long long, a little farther away. But... Um, you know, if anybody listening is over in the St. Pete area or north of there, I think it is, Yeah, um, Newport Richie. you know, definitely want to promote that too. So yeah. how, how did you guys get into that? What, what was the purpose behind that? Just something, something fun, something different.
1: It's, it's really Robin's okay. um, thing. I mean, she, when I met her, she was working at a coffee stand okay. in Washington state, uh, about 45 minutes north of, of Seattle. So we're both. Pacific Northwesterners mm-hmm. and in the little town that we grew up it's it's a larger town now, but Marysville, Washington, there were just hundreds of these little it, it's like a home depot shed basically in Washington with a window on each side and they you know an espresso machine and somebody mm-hmm. inside there and we were we grew up getting coffee that way okay, and so we were just kind of waiting for someone to do that here, and no one had and we've been in Tampa now since so, oh, five or oh, six. So, you know, 15 years. We've yeah. been here a while and just said, OK, no one's going to do it. And Robin um, hadn't worked outside the house for a decade.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: almost. Our, our son, Charlie, who's in the other room, is um, he has mild cerebral palsy. Okay. He was born in the NICU, spent seven months uh, in the NICU oh, wow. and had all of these extra issues that just really pulled on her um, heavily from Mm -hmm. a, you know, someone had to be there. And luckily I worked from home, so I was able to help, but she took a huge amount of the responsibility around Charlie. Mm -hmm. And then as he grew, he had more and more independence. And so the last, it's really been three or four years now that she was thinking, I want something to do, but, you know, she hasn't worked for the long time. And at the time she was early 20s. -hmm. So she didn't really have, you know, like I don't want to just go get a minimum wage job. Right. She's like, I want to do something interesting, but and so she said we want to do this coffee thing. She'd wanted to do it for years and years, and it had kind of just been a well, you know, sometime. Yeah. And a few years ago, when when it it really looked like Charlie um, didn't need us as much. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we should do it. So it, the I mean the password for. I maybe shouldn't put this on recording, but the password for our banking for a while had 2016 in it because that's when we first started looking at mm. it, and it was like this go- ongoing joke of it's taken now three years for us to get <laughs> started because it's so it's it took so long, um, and it just opened in March of this year. March 9th was the first day. Uh, she's actually there right now. That's and, awesome. Um, it's been growing really well. She's she's loving it, and it's it, I mean I enjoy it too. Yeah, it's fun to go out and get quote free coffee yeah
0: and what's um, the what's the hope there are you guys gonna open up a couple or is it
1: sh- definitely one yeah, she, yeah she's got um some lease negotiations with a p- couple other people that cool uh locations that are looking at now so it's something that she wants to grow and and i think it would be cool for charlie to be able to yeah. take that over you know at some point that's um, awesome that's what robin always says yeah that, you know, this could be Charlie's thing. So yeah, no, I love it's it. It's a lot of fun, and we that's have an exciting. incredible crew out there. Uh, they look
0: like they're a lot of fun. I mean, I yeah. see them on social media all the time, <laughs> so they look like they're a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: we got uh, best <coughs> customer service and best of the Bay, which is you know this regional thing here yeah. in Tampa. Yeah. Um, it was. It's good. The crew is amazing. That's Everybody awesome. Just has a lot of fun in there, and and I think that's when people come through. The majority of the feedback is actually about how great the people are mm. instead of um, how good the coffee is. They say that, too. It's good coffee. <laughs> but, you know, everyone seems to really enjoy the people. And so that, I think, has been the the most fun part of it. Robin is like a mother duck. You know, she gets the – it's like another family. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a really cool feeling.
0: That's awesome. So last couple things. Um, where can people learn more about – beat childhood cancer. Um, And then what do you need? Um, Obviously probably funding. I'm sure nonprofits always need funding. Um, But are there other things that you need or that, you know, if someone was really interested in helping out that they could, that they could do?
1: Definitely. I mean, we always have needs. We're a nonprofit and we love when people care about what we're doing and want to get involved uh, our social media or our website is always the best place to follow along to get more information. So okay. it's BeatCC.org, Beat Childhood Cancer. BeatCC.org. Okay. Yep. So BeatCC.org or on um, Instagram and Facebook is where we're most active and it's just Beat Childhood Cancer. Okay, So those places are the best to connect with us and find out a little bit more about what we do. Mm-hmm. We publish a ton of videos on Facebook of different families and things about the childhood cancer world, things mm. that we're doing. And we usually have two biggest needs. Mm-hmm. obviously, money is the number one thing. Mm-hmm. What we do is research, and the the only way to drive that forward is with dollars. So right. that is the main thing that we do. And uh, if people can't, it honestly, a five dollar monthly thing is important. a monthly donation of, okay. of five bucks. it matters to us. So those okay. kind of things really are important. And then just telling the story mm. is. Almost as important, because that okay. usually leads to funding. Mm-hmm. I think most people either, one, think childhood cancer is already taken care of, mm-hmm. because there's a group in Tennessee that has a ton of advertising, and they go, oh, St. Jude. They got it covered. You got know? it, yeah. It's not the truth. They're, that hospital is great at some different cancers, but they do not focus on everything, and there's a wealth of research that's happening. hmm across really the world that also needs funding. There are a lot of cancers. There are a lot of cancers where we are losing our kids still. Mm. And and that is a genuine real need that can be affected today. And so sharing a video that we make talking about that Mm -hmm. um, just telling your friend, I listened to this podcast, I heard about have you heard of Be Childhood Cancer Foundation? Mm -hmm. You should look them up those kind of things are, are really important okay um, yeah so I think I think that that is probably the two big things donate or or share
0: share awesome I love it okay well Kyle thanks again for coming this was awesome and um, you know hope to help you spread the word and you know help out any way that we can and uh, just thanks for being here
1: I really appreciate it. I, I love any opportunity to be able to talk about what we're doing and I, Absolutely. Was, uh, I was really grateful to get the email from you to come in and share and this has been fun so thank you